0: Welcome to the Practice of Being Seen. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, Relationship Therapist and Founder of Connectfulness. I believe that when you truly see yourself, you create a ripple effect that allows you to be the change you wish to see in the world. And that invites everyone around you to do the same. In these curated discussions, I invite you to make space to see yourself But here's a little warning. The practice of being seen might lead to deeper intimacy, less fear, and more creative, bold action. Are you ready to deepen your practice and be seen? Today I'm talking to Natalie Overton. Natalie spent the past decade working in the world of education reform in the heart of New York City. She has a deep curiosity about the unspoken necessity of self-love, community, and understanding that's needed to create successful learning environments. Natalie is a full-time entrepreneur, the founder of omgirls.com, holds a master's in teaching, and is a certified yoga instructor. In everything she does, she strives to provide a space for people to develop a deeper understanding of equity, inclusion, and self-reflection. Much of Natalie's current work is about training, coaching, and mentoring teachers in developing a rooted understanding of themselves so that they can be a model to their students and hone in on their why to develop culturally competent classrooms. And so without further ado, I give you episode 51. So welcome, Natalie. I'm so glad that you're here with us today.
1: Me too. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very excited about the opportunity to talk and share some.
0: Yeah. Well, so why don't we just dive right in? Why don't you start off by telling my listeners and I a little bit about what Om Girls is all about, because I believe this is your entrepreneurial baby.
1: Right. It is. It is. So, Ohm Girls is an organization that actually has been years in the making. I started it when I was still working. I was coaching teachers in New York City. And it almost started as me trying to figure myself out. So, it actually started as a blog called Uplift With Me. And it was a place where I just went and would reflect. And I didn't really know what was coming of it, but I knew that All of these different experiences I was having and these thoughts I was thinking about myself and how I interact with the world and, you know, what the purpose and meaning of everything is, that's my brain just goes down lots of rabbit holes. This idea of creating a space, Own Girls, really started to carve itself out in my life. So Own Girls, it's a great many things, which I'll explain at the core of it is just providing people the space and the opportunity to really look into themselves and ask, what am I doing and how is that affecting other people? How am I growing? How are they growing? And so it's a twofold organization. So on one hand, I do a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion work. I worked in New York schools, as you all know, for about a decade. And through that, through my own self reflection, I really started to feel like the key to creating transformational classrooms and experiences, not just for students, but for everyone involved, is to really ensure that you're creating a space where people feel brave enough to have conversations about who they are, about what they bring to the table, and about how to understand others and grow from that. So OM girls, I've had the privilege of being able to work with teachers one-on-one through coaching, as well as organizations. So in the summer, I did some work with the American Museum of Natural History, where I was able to have different professional developments with people that are about to go into the classroom about, who am I, what is my voice, what things about me am I willing and excited to bring into my classroom? What things am I apprehensive to bring to my classroom? And how do I create an atmosphere that again, welcomes a brave space? So on one hand, that's what I do. And I think that that's very rooted into myself and my own educational background and the interactions that I had as a student in the classroom, but then also as a teacher. And then I also do yoga workshops. So yoga is my heart. If someone were to say, you know, You're on a desert, and you can only choose to bring, you know, three things. I guarantee it would be my yoga mat, my block, and my strap you know, or my bolster and my strap. I really feel like yoga allows me to connect spiritually. And so I, again, think if we're working on self-reflection, if we're working on figuring out who we are in order to shine our light the best, we have to have an outlet that allows us to connect our body, mind, and souls together. And so Own Girls also provides workshops. Currently, I'm doing workshops in Farmingdale and in Valley Stream. Those are both in Long Island but I do workshops for people to come and just begin to explore these things. So I have a caregiver's workshop that I do where a lot of moms and I have some women who run daycares come to and we really start working on that self-love and self-care that we need in order to be our best selves for other people. So yeah, that's a bit of what the vision is and you know how it's coming out in the world.
0: Really interesting. You know, I think there's a lot of things I just took little notes about as you were talking, because there's things that bleed into the work that I do. And a lot of the conversations we've been having over here on the Practice of Being Seen podcast, one of the things that you said was when you're talking specifically about talking with teachers and the work that you do there, you were talking about kind of helping them and helping yourself look into what parts of myself do I feel comfortable and excited to bring into the classroom and what parts am I more resistant or scared of bringing in
1: to Mm -hmm. my work.
0: And I think it's so interesting to hear you say that about teachers because I'm always having conversation with therapists and we're having the same conversation. And I really thought this was something that was so unique in some ways, to therapists, because in many ways, we're very guarded about our lives, and we're taught to be that way. And Mm -hmm. yet I'm hearing you now say, no, this is a really human experience.
1: Right. You know, I've actually been thinking about
0: that so much lately. And I
1: think there's something around it. So in my mind, if I'm gonna think of a therapist or someone who's helping, and I also think of an educator who, you know, there's all these different memes. I'm like, where were all these memes when I was a teacher? They're so cool. But like there's all these memes back in the now that you can find on like, you know, a teacher is a mother, a father, a social worker, a best friend, da da, da like all these things, which I firmly believe teachers are. And so I think if we look at the personalities and the necessity of giving that we have to do as therapists, as healers, as educators. There's this role that I think we step into a lot of, which is giving, right? Always yeah,
0: we're giving. talking about helpers. Helpers, healers, mm-hmm. caregivers, you know, whether mm-hmm. we're talking about mothers, teachers, nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. therapists, whatever, anyone in a helping profession. Right. And so
1: I wonder how easy is it for us to receive that help? right? So it's. I think that there may be something with this idea of receiving help and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in situations where we feel like we might have to be holding it all for people, at least I find in my experience.
0: And I think I love that you're bringing that to light and that we're going there because I find that to be very much the case too. I think that very often helpers have a hard time being helped. Right, exactly. And so Mm -hmm. is it okay with you? Can we dive in a little bit and talk about your experience and what got you to this place of insight?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's been like, right, a lifetime of experience, which is true for everyone and everything. I think when you think about where am I exactly in my life right now, if I sit and reflect, I'm so huge on reflection, I'm able to think it through. And so for me, I feel one of the main things that got me to this place was that, was being able to sit and reflect. And so I have to reflect on the reflection, right? Like go into how did I develop this part of who I was? So growing up, I grew up in a very homogeneous society. To this day, my parents are the only Black family in our neighborhood. I grew up in East Tennessee, in a world where I was dealing with a lot of dualities. I was dealing with how I felt about myself and how I felt I was seen. And I didn't quite know what to do with all of the different experiences I was having. You know, when you're a young child such as myself who not only looked different and always stood out like a sore thumb. um, Yes, I was the, you know, usually the darkest child in my classes and I was also tall. And I was also, you know, a bit on the chubbier side as a child. So I just always felt like I stuck out. And then my personality, because, you know, diverse personalities as well, and thought is something that's major. I was a little nerdy girl, you know, I loved to read, I loved to like, be quiet and play by myself, or I just had, you know, I had this really interesting old soul type of personality. And so for me, You know, I've always had this sound feeling of being able to reflect and being able to go inward. And now that I'm older, I can like put different words and things to it. But I think just having this consistency of really staying true to my inner voice, even when I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And I think that it's something that came naturally to me and it doesn't come naturally to everyone. And that is fine. But I think really following that inner voice of taking time to reflect has allowed me to really make sense and turn experiences that I've had into, into places of wisdom.
0: So I want to slow you down for a minute mm-hmm. and pause you yeah. because you're saying yeah. so much goodness in here that I don't want to skip over. And I okay. think there's something about that inner voice that you just had. It was something that was intuitive, that was grounded, that I'm guessing because I'm a therapist and I analyze things, right? Yes. But I'm guessing <laughs> that there was some sturdiness behind you at home. You know, there was both actually. So
1: it's very interesting how I grew up. Polar opposites. You know, my father was from Brooklyn, New York, um, Red Hook, Brooklyn, which at the time was not a cool place to live. Now, if you go to Red Hook, Brooklyn, it's like really hip. There's, you know, an Ikea there. But at the time he grew up in the projects of Red Hook. And my mother came from farmland in East Tennessee. My great grandfather was actually the first man of color to own farm land in our county, which is really awesome.
0: Wow! And so, yeah, it's very powerful. It's also, like, I mean, like the lineage and the family stories that come with that. And I'm thinking that there's also something there in regards to just like the generational stories that get passed down you know, and how we learn yeah. to see ourselves because of those stories. Right, right.
1: And so, you know, and I think that that, I've always had this deep understanding of like love for myself through my family my parents are very loving and amazing and did the best to set a really strong foundation for my sisters. And I'm the youngest of three. And, you know, everyone has their own demons. And one of my mother's demons happens to be depression. And so, you know, I've seen my mother struggle with clinical depression, the majority of my life. And so I think while that in and of itself is a very unstable thing for a child to witness and be a part of, I was able to see through that a beautiful stability of how my father provided for us, um, not just financially, but also emotionally was there supporting us. And I got to see my mother in this beautiful, like fighting spirit that she had not to let this demon, in my opinion, take her over. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, the stability that I have came from the This situation that could be perceived as very unstable. So yeah, and then, you know, I've been blessed to, I think a lot of it is just being open. I've been blessed to have a lot of people in my life that have kind of dropped tidbits of knowledge here and there or always kind of looked out for me. And I think that that is connected to being in a place where I grew up and being surrounded, as you said, with the lineage and the generational like love and support of having family around me. It's really taught me to understand that You can't just look to one person for everything, right? You can't just look to a mother to be like the solver of everything for, you know, your child. You have to look to the village that's around you. And so I grew up with a very village mindset and it took a village to raise me. And so, yeah, I think the stability of that village came from the necessity of You know, growing up with a mother who was battling a lot of demons on her own and is doing beautifully now. I'm very, very proud of her. Her fight is very encouraging to me.
0: I'm glad that your mom is doing well now. Yep. I also hear the hardship of growing up with a mother who's battling the demons of depression. Mm -hmm. I also want to come back to this point about community because it feels to me when i look at your work that this is embodied in who you are now and what you bring the light that you bring that the power of community is something that you really help to develop like you get behind it and help it get stronger
1: yeah and i think again that's just you know i believe in the power of the connect of the collective because I've tried so hard to just succeed and do it all on my own, and I've fallen so many times flat on my face. And I think through, you know, again, reflection, you know, by the end of this, you're going to be like, okay, Natalie, we get it. You want us to reflect. But, you know, I really think through that, I've been able to understand, okay, what do you do well? Go be great. How do you need to lean on others? Okay, it's all right for that. You know, it's okay to lean on others. It's okay... to have a good community. But then I think of, okay, what does it take to actually make that community? In my experience, I have been in a room with, you know, people, and you would expect a community to be created, and it wasn't. I've also been in a room with people where you expect a community would not be created, and it was. And so for me, something that I think is like the key in all of this, right, and as you say, me getting behind and really developing this community of people or, you know, helping people feel encouraged in who they are and letting their own light shine is this understanding that if we are really going to live happy, fulfilled lives, if we're really going to chase after the essence of who we are, we have to firmly believe that we are capable, that we are able and that we are like, destined to do amazing things. And so for me, I think, you know, again, community, you have different people that do different things. And I've really, in these past couple of years, began to understand that my light is to help shine a light on other people, right? And so when I do that through getting to know people, through talking to people, through connecting, I'm such a connector. I'm always trying to, oh, you're so-and-so, let me tell you about this person, connect them. For the longest time, I thought it was because I was Southern, because, you know, Southern people like to connect people. Actually, that's how we got connected. But, you know, yeah. But it's, I think there's something deeper. I think that it's just a trait of who I am. I love seeing people shine and I love seeing people get along again, because I believe there's such a bigger purpose for all of us. And we can't achieve that until we are able to understand ourselves so that we can get along with others so that we can build something, right? Because community isn't about always agreeing. So when I say get along, I don't necessarily mean agree, right? Community isn't always agreeing, but it's about being able to say, This is what I have to offer. This is what you have to offer. How can we shine off of each other and then move along to create something even better?
0: All right. So I want to take you deeper now because a lot of what you talk about is kind of inclusivity. It's you talk about like diversity awareness. Mm -hmm. A lot of this, I'm guessing, (laughs) I'm going to do a lot of guessing because I don't know you very well, Mm -hmm. comes also out of your own experience growing up as the only black child in your community. And what your needs were in many ways in that way and what you can give back to the larger communities that you're a part of and the places where you educate teachers. And right. So mm-hmm. I'm curious from the work that you do, from the lived experience that you have, from the lens that you see the world with, because that's your gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all have our own lenses. But from your place, what is it that we need right now for ourselves and for our families, our communities, Yeah. next generation. What do you feel we need? Yeah,
1: man. Oh, that's such a good question. And yes, I think you are spot on about why this is my purpose from all the experiences I've had. You know, I would say, first and foremost, we need openness to understanding.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to keep this a little slower so that we can really work this stuff through together. Mm -hmm. But When you say openness to understanding, Mm -hmm. as a relationship therapist, I hear it's an openness to influence, Mm. right? So it's deeper than just, I hear what you're saying, right? but it's that also the piece of, I hear what you're saying, I can take it in, I can be influenced Mm -hmm. by the feeling that it gives me, whether I agree with it or not.
1: Yes. And that, for me, that's where the key word of openness comes in with it, right? So I'm thinking specifically to a lot of the work I do in my sessions, right? We have to understand a way in which to communicate these really heavy topics that people have a hard time talking about rightfully so. And I could talk to you for hours upon hours, I'm sure, about the different reasons and why people, I believe, have trouble having these conversations. But for example, there's a tool that I use in my work called The Courageous Compass, and basically with the courageous compass, there are four different ways that you can enter into conversation. So for example, you could enter into a conversation about race or diversity through an intellectual perspective, saying, Oh, I read this article and XYZ. Uh, you can enter through an emotional perspective saying, Well, I had a experience like this, and so therefore I feel XY. And the thing that's so powerful about that exercise is you enter introduce this tool, right? This tool that people have to understand how to be open to talking about things and to really seeing the perspective and seeing the point that the other person's coming from. I got my bachelor's degree in communication and I learned that I believe it's 80% of conversation is nonverbal. So you're having these talks with people and, you know, when we can't we're looking at their mannerisms, we're seeing what they're saying, we're creating our own understanding based on our own experiences or lack thereof with what they're talking to us about. And so when we don't have tools or when we don't have common understanding of how we will engage in these conversations, it makes things hard, right? And so giving people tools to help them be open, I think is crucial, especially when you're working with, People that are not of the helping realm, if that makes sense. So, I think that, you know, I have had plenty of people that have been able to sit and have conversations about race and diversity that look very different from me and were able just to jump in and go. But it's because we have the tools. And so, having the tools to be open allows you to hear each other more. So,
0: does that help? How do you teach those tools? Yep. I think
1: that it depends on the person. I don't mean for that to sound like a copying out answer, but I think that it takes, I think you teach the tools through many ways. I think you can actually go places and learn the tools, right? So this work that we need to do of, you know, creating a world that is more accepting to diversity, it has to be self-led work from people from where they're at. Because this is a continual thing that we all have to strive towards understanding more. There isn't like an end point where you can say, I am, you know, a person who has it perfectly together and never has any prejudice and never, you know, has X, Y, Z. We're always working towards improving, right? Just like we're working towards improving on ourselves. So I think that it starts with really figuring out for yourself, right? How do I do this? What is my best way of learning? What is uncomfortable about having these conversations? So for me, I put a lot of things on my Facebook. And I have this talk with lots of my friends because I know that it also can be draining when you're constantly posting things up. But I post articles, I post, you know, reflections and things on my Facebook for people to be able to look through and read and start to get ideas or thoughts. I typically have a good amount of friends from Tennessee who send me messages that are like, hey, thanks, this has really allowed me to start thinking. So if you're a person who is, there's a like saying going around now, woke, it's like hashtag woke. So, you know, if you're a person who's woke or who's, you know able to understand that there are some really serious dynamics at play when it comes to systematic oppression in our country. But if you're someone who is starting to understand that or understands it, then being able to bring that into your conversations is something that's helpful. I think, right, just being a vessel for people. And then on the flip side, the person who's wanting to learn, who's needing those tools, reaching out and talking to people or, or not being afraid to ask questions. And thinking of two things specifically. One, I have a friend that I know from college. He's more of an acquaintance and he has a band. He just did a music video for his band and he realized, he, he put out a call and asked people to send him recordings singing the song. And he realized that he hardly had any women of color doing this activity. And so he paused in the middle of the production and reached out to me and explained this and asked me if I would be willing to, you know, be a part of this project, which I happily did. And so I think getting started is doing things like that, right? Being vulnerable enough to say, okay, wait, I should ask somebody something because I'm not quite sure. And he and I, like, I think I've maybe talked to this person once or twice in my life, right? And so finding... It felt okay to you that he reached out? It did. And, you know, I have to be really clear about this because there's also an understanding of people of color not wanting others to do the works on their back. And so there are many different types of people. In no way, shape, or form do I mean go out. Like, all of your friends of color should be willing and open to this. I think he knew that I do diversity work. We have, our college was really open and a loving place. And so, and we have mutual friends. So I think that made him feel safe to reach out to me, right? But I feel like a person's first step is finding those safe people to reach out to. Or this is such a huge conversation in our world right now.
0: I'm hearing this conversation a lot lately. And a yeah. lot of what I'm hearing from other people of color, colleagues, mm-hmm. friends is, I don't want to have to do the work to wake you up. I don't want to have to mm-hmm. teach you these things. I want you to learn it. And mm-hmm. yet I'm also having conversations where I can't learn this stuff without talking to you because I'm never going to have your lived experience.
1: Right. And with that, and I hear I'm the same way I have, which is to my point of, I feel like I'm a person who's just open and wants to help talk, which again, we could dig in, stems back to growing up in The majority of my friends, until I moved to New York, were white. So I went through this phase. There's a really great book. It's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? It's by Dr. Beverly Tatum. I would suggest that everybody reads it. It's a great foundational book to understand
0: what age group is it written for hmm It's, is adult. It it's a adults? book for
1: adults. Okay. Yes, it's a book for adults. And basically what it does is it talks about systematic oppression in our society. It gives people a foundational understanding of terms such as racism and what that term means in the author's perspective. And then what I love about this book is it dives into different ethnicities that are represented in our country. I believe it's every ethnicity you could think of, even down to a multi-ethnic. And Mm -hmm. she explains the development of that being through a racial lens. So when you're an adolescent, what is going on through your mind? When you are becoming an adult, what is going on through your mind and how you're making sense of race in our country?
0: Oh, I can't wait to read this book.
1: It's so beautiful. And so that's something I would say too, you know, One, I think it's how people approach the conversations. So again, I'm a very open person.
0: And And I I think this is a piece of it is that people are approaching conversations with you. Right. Because they know that you're open. And so they can dive in. They can feel safe to have a conversation. It's that openness that makes the conversation safe. Right. And I think that
1: if you don't know people like that, and first off, you just ask. You know, I've had friends who have said, is it okay if I talk to you about this? right? So if you're not sure, you go to a person, hey, Natalie, I really have a question about X, but I don't want you to perceive it as... I want to ask you just because you are a black woman. If you do not feel comfortable having this conversation, then that's fine, right? And then that gives the other person an option to opt out, an option to give them resources. respect. Or an option to have the conversation. I assume that they would do B or C, give resources or have a conversation. Because a lot of it is how you're coming at me.
0: If I come to you and I say, I'm feeling ignorant about this and I want to learn more, Either you're probably going to feel, it's just human nature, you're probably going to feel like, okay, wait, you just claimed your own ignorance. Right. I don't have to wake you up to it. So I'm more likely to give you referrals, resources, or have that conversation with you. If I'm not claiming that, if I'm not owning my responsibility and my part in it, that's me being shut down. You're not going to want to open up to that. Right. Are you coming at this
1: through a place of humility or are you coming at this through a place of privilege? right? And that's the key. So saying, hey, I'm ignorant at this. Hey, I would love to talk with to you, understand better, et cetera. This is a place of humility of wanting to learn and grow. Whereas I was in university once and I was in a course where you had to be nominated to be into this course. It was a senior level course that our vice president taught. So it was a nominee only course. I was the only female and I was the only person of color in that whole room. So it was literally me and about 20 white men. And my professor was a white man.
0: I'm just like sinking into this for a minute and thinking of the experience of sitting in that room. Forget about anything that's being taught. Forget about any of the conversations. Just being in the room as a woman of color in a room full of white men.
1: And every time a question is asked that has to pertain to women or to African-Americans, People of color, but mainly African-Americans. Everybody turns and looks at you. Every head, I would feel, turned and looked at me to the point where multiple times I would say to them, I am not the keeper of keys for women or minorities. Like, this is my experience.
0: Excuse no me, wonder but, that you're positioned yep. to do the work that you do now though, right? Like you have been right. shaped throughout your life in so many ways to be opening yeah. these conversations. And not that that should have to be your calling or mm-hmm. it need to be the work that you feel responsible to do in the world, but that you are doing that work, I think speaks also to how you have lived this experience of your life.
1: Yeah. And you know, like, I'm thankful for it. I'm so thankful that I'm 31 and have been able thus far to piece together a lot of different experiences in my life that I could have taken in a completely different direction.
0: Okay. Can we also talk about how relevant your work is in today's culture, in today's world? I mean, the fact that we're still dealing with events like Charlottesville, that you know, we need to be having these conversations. We need to be having conversations around inclusivity, whether we're talking about race or sexuality or religion or whatever the otherness mm-hmm. is, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I've been thinking a lot about how much bigger and smaller our world has been becoming at the same time, right? <laughs> so we have the internet now, which is amazing and great. But even you know, horrible, Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so all the things, all the things, all the things. And so I think that, you know, our world is becoming bigger in one way because people are starting to learn about different types of people and learn about different ways of living and different expressions of faith and, you know, X, Y, Z, but it's also becoming smaller because of that as well. And so we're at this place and it's so interesting because this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I literally am tribal living. My husband and I and our daughter live in a house with his brother, his aunt and cousin, and his father and his mother sadly passed away about a month ago, which was sad. But, you know, my point of this is I am blessed to be in a house with Black people from the South that have experienced this. And every night, like clockwork, we watch Rachel Maddow because they are obsessed with Rachel. They love her. And being able to talk to them and literally sometimes and figuratively all the time sit at their feet and hear these stories of like the same things that we're dealing with today has caused me to think a lot about, okay, what is the like... Unicorn or silver bullet in this work that you're doing, Natalie, because it is so necessary, like especially right now, as we like to say, you know, especially right now, especially right now. But if I stop and I think of this, especially right now, from the perspective of a person of color, I'm like, what do you mean right now? I have these conversations and it's just very interesting because
0: they know and that, I it's wonder if that the will- right now is the rest of us being woken up. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. It, it's certainly not that your experience is changing in any capacity. Absolutely. And so, you know, I see the frustration there, and I see the word isn't hopelessness
1: because these are the strongest, most hopeful people I've seen. I think that Black people, people of color, are full of so much hope and resilience that it's amazing. But I see this need to pair the season of the indigo children, right? Like that may hit some people. Some people might be like, indigo children, what is this? Let me Google it.
0: Yeah, I was just about to look at my computer to Google it.
1: (laughs) So an indigo child is said to be born within a certain, you know, time frame. I think there's, it's like a soft years, you know, you Google some and there's like a 10 year jump. But basically it's saying that the beings that are coming into this world are more sensitive or more open and, you know, we can be we could- empathetic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, if we're talking about the, especially right now, there is this sense of empathy and wanting to learn and grow and see different perspectives that I have seen through the eyes of children and the work I've done. And so the idea is, in my opinion, if you have a lot of people, a lot of beings that are open to empathy and are open to like learning and growing, how are you helping hone that? And how are you helping them use it in like a positive force? And again, my unique positionality is that lies through mindfulness, that lies through reflection. And when you have these like, quote, unquote, indigo children, when you have people that are Open to understanding and learning more, you're able to really give them the tools that they need through, like, "Hey, let's get a journal and journal." Right? You've had an experience, go down and write about it. Or you had a difficult conversation with someone. Here's a book, read a little bit on it. Right? People
0: now tend to be more open and more wanting to wake up, right, to that reality. So when you're talking about mindfulness, you're not just Mm -hmm. sitting down and talking about sitting in a lotus position with your fingers, like absolutely. Closed in a little circle and and umming, you're talking about even just how you approach your life every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is something that I love when I think about yoga, right? Yoga is an eight limbed thing. So in Western society, when we think of yoga, we think, oh my God, I'm holding this pose. Oh my God, I'm meditating, right? Those are just aspects of it. So, how am I living my life every day in a way that is mindful to being present and to the interactions that I'm having with people? That's the key. I believe. And so.
0: Do you want to break down what mindfulness is in your mind then? Because Mm -hmm. I think there's so many different ways to see this. I know I certainly have my own definitions about what mindfulness is. Yeah, absolutely. I think many of our listeners may too. And I think sometimes it really helps to redefine these words that could be catchphrases otherwise.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So from my perspective, when I think of mindfulness, I'm striving to be in the present moment Of what I'm experiencing, but also aware of the emotions that I'm feeling and interactions that I'm having through almost like a setback seat, if that makes sense. I'm almost able to observe it. So I'm living in the moment, I'm having my interactions throughout the day. But if someone says something to me and I feel my heart start to beat a little faster, I think to myself, okay, why is that? Right? I take a breath. Why is my heart beating faster? What did this person say that just triggered me? Is it something they're wearing and it reminds me of some person that I had a bad interaction with? Did they use a word that's a trigger word for me? What is this person actually trying to say before I react, right? Or I'm engaging in something and I really want to question it right? This happened to me all the time when I was at work. I would be in meetings and I would find myself just, when I say at work, I mean not entrepreneuring, working for myself. But I'd be in meetings and I would find myself just shooting off questions. Okay, pause, because there's something wrong in your soul. And when I say wrong in my soul, this is a part of mindfulness and I think we all understand it. You know when you get that little feeling like, oh, that little like irk inside of you? Okay, so why do I have that work? Why do I feel like I'm asking questions in a way that doesn't sit right with the person that I know I am to be, right? Oh, it's because I'm intimidated by this person. Don't judge it. Why am I intimidated by this person? You know, and so, of course, you can't always go down those rabbit holes all the time. But in the moment being present and when you're feeling a visceral reaction within your body, when you feel your eyebrows start to even slightly, you know, furrow or when you hear or feel your mind or, you know, observe your mind starting to talk bad about the person or starting to critique the person, instead of allowing myself to go there being mindful enough to stop myself, take a deep breath and ask why. And so that when I say mindfulness, that is like the aspect in which I try to live. I fail miserably at it all the time, but I strive for it every day. And I truly think that that's the key. Just being mindful and being aware of yourself, being mindful of
0: yourself. I love that definition. Thank you for that. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I also love the way you're really doing that deep inner work of self-reflection, I call it the practice of being seen, where you're looking deeply at what is it that's bubbling up underneath this for me? Right, right.
1: Well, because I firmly believe that that's the key to it all. Because someone, you know, once told me, when you have an issue with another person, It's usually because they're reflecting something about yourself that you don't like.
0: Isn't that hard to hear and wonderful and illuminating at the same time?
1: Yes, it is the hardest thing,
0: but it's the most
1: powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I've been able to look at people that I've created some like narrative of why I don't like them in my head, and I've been able to say, oh, that's me. What do I see in me there? Or if I can't even do that, because listen, let's be real. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're like, "Uh -uh, none of me there. Right?
0: Uh Who do I know? I don't have any of that. (laughs) That does not mean me. Yeah, exactly. Right? (laughs) Who
1: are you seeing when you say that? You know? (laughs) But you know, like, if you're not there yet, that's okay. Who do you love that that person reminds you of? Mm -hmm.
0: Start there. Yes, You're starting with a softer, more open, receptive place.
1: You have to. Listen, as a woman of color in this work, I have to. Because if not, I just get too angry. Mm.
0: You know? And I mean... So that's your own self-care there, is even like when you're teaching it to start in the softer place.
1: Exactly. And that... You have to know yourself in this work. You know, if you're someone who is trying to be woke, let's just continue the phrase, but if you're someone who's trying to, you know, develop a better understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion in our world, of who you are, of the privileges or lack thereof that you've had, et cetera. You know, that's one thing if you're developing that, then you're on your own, like that's a journey in and of itself. But if you feel like you have an okay grasp on that and you're really turning around to reach your hand out and help others understand, self-care is a necessity. What are you doing to protect yourself and what do you know you naturally need? So I know I am a person that in my blood, there is like anger, right? Like I can have a temper, which actually has calmed down so much over the years, thanks to yoga. And I think a lot of this reflection, but through my reflection on my temper and on these things about me, I've been really able to understand what I need to shine my light the best. And then here's the key. And then I've given myself permission to do those things. Because I think a lot of times when we see what we need to be our best selves, to be there for others, especially when we're helpers, we may feel like that's indulgent because we have to carry all the other weight and we can't take time for ourselves. But I know to show up as my best self, I have to come at people through an open space, which means I have to do reflection, which means I have to come with a spirit of understanding and let's go and begin from there with compassion and then at the end of the day yeah and at the end of the day I think compassion wins all I am a firm believer that I mean and a lot of people think this is ignorant and that's fine everyone's entitled to their own opinion but I truly with every fiber of my being feel that true love feel like agape love because I mean there's many different definitions of love, but agape yeah, love this. Yeah, like, go ahead and mm-hmm. define it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Agape love, this like deep rooted love of others, regardless of situations, etc. So it's not a romantic love. It's like a I love you, period. I love you when you're down. I love you when you're up. I love you, period. I think when we take on this understanding of an agape love, of truly just loving ourselves and loving others because that is what I feel like we're innately designed to do. And again, different people may feel like that's not true and that's fine, but I personally think that that is what wins. When we're able to give love to ourselves first and foremost, because I mean, RuPaul said it best, if you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else, right? You can't,
0: and you can't be loved by somebody else either. Exactly. And so really developing this
1: like deep-rooted love, I think, is what's necessary. And to do that deep-rooted love means having these hard conversations, means diving deep and putting a mirror up to ourselves and looking at others. But that's where it starts. I
0: firmly believe that's where it Can starts. Can we talk a little bit about this idea of compassion? Because I think yeah. what you're really also talking about is this idea of self-compassion. And- yeah. This is an interesting kind of tangent that I didn't foresee, but (laughs) as we talk about self-compassion and this place of learning how to lean into that place of receptivity and love and the love for the self and looking at oneself, and we're having this other conversation about inclusiveness and diversity, there's also stuff within us that feels shattered and that we are detached from that Mm -hmm. we also have to bring that compassion and love to. Yes. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes. And we have to start there. You know, I think of the years I spent running or replaying. I have this beautiful woman in my life. Her name is Judith. And she has just been such. I literally tell her I'm like, Judith, you're my guide. Like, I firmly believe that one of the reasons why this woman has been put on the planet has been in my life has been to like guide me through things. And we were having a conversation once because I was stuck. I was just stuck on something and I couldn't get out of it. And she said to me, Natalie, you have to understand that this is a cycle. And you have to understand that you are playing the role of victim in this cycle. And until you choose to truly stop playing the role of victim, to truly look at the pieces of you that you feel are broken and take the steps that are necessary to mend them, this is going to keep happening.
0: We all needed Judith. Yes! <laughs> I had, I had my version and my grandmother, she said almost the exact same words to yes! me at another point in my life. But I think we all need somebody, somebody yes. in our lives who can reflect us back to ourselves and so that we can have those conversations. Yes, it's so true. And you know, it, it takes a beautiful
1: humility to have that. Like, I mean, and I think that it's a purposeful thing, right? Like,
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Who are
1: we surrounding ourselves with? My friends, like, There are times where I would get so upset at my friends because, you know, my husband who I swear he was Buddha in a past life. He's like such a Zen person. Sounds like a perfect match. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. Here's my analogy. I say that I am the tree branches moving in a windstorm and he's the roots. And I just like flutter here and there and he just keeps me grounded. He really does. But, you know, my friends and I would get into conversations, or I would be upset at him, and, you know, Doug just did XYZ. i Z. I'm so upset. And my friends are amazing mirrors. They would be like, no, we know you. We know your personality. You need to check X, Y, Z about yourself. It's such a blessing to hear that from friends. It's also very hard to hear that from friends, you know? So, yeah, I think it's who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you with people that are going to celebrate your highs with you and hug you through your lows, but when you're in your lows, give you things to build you up, you know, because those are the people that truly want to see you succeed. And they're found everywhere. They're found through mentors. They're found through your children. They're found through, you know, anywhere you could look, people on the street, but ensuring that you're really putting yourself around those types of people. Giving yourself Judas, right? Everyone's homework. Go find a Judith.
0: Like everyone needs a Judith. And the truth is that Judith shows up in so many places.
1: It's so true. It's so true. It's so true. And I think, you know, a lot of that again starts with you and the self asking to be open to those situations. So whether that's you praying, whether that's you meditating, you saying God, universe, Allah, whoever you want to, like whoever you pray to, however you ask for blessings and positivity to come into your life. I think you ask for that openness. You ask for those people to come into your life and then you stay mindful and quiet
0: and you see it. That and was even just a key word you said there. Quiet. Quiet. Yes. Ooh, it's so hard to be quiet. It is so hard, especially when there's all of that, like, yeah, but, 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 but I'm not really, no, I can't because, well, and I really should. Yep. All that ego. That's the stuff that gets in the way. Yes. Yes, it's true. And you know,
1: you can have the best intentions, but if you're not able to really silence yourself, silence that because all those like but if I cannot I did it like that's all what am I blocking what am I blocking just stop and be you know I think especially for those of us who really strive to help improve the world and etc you know I think everyone who, who's listens to your podcast it's so hard for us to do that
0: mm-hmm. to just stop and be and yet it's Challenging. one of the most important things for us to do. Absolutely. You know, one of my little catchphrases that I say often to a lot of my clients, and I work with a lot of helpers. Mm-hmm. So whether we're talking about parents or teachers, or we're talking about other therapists or whomever, I'm working with a lot of helpers. So mm-hmm. one of the things I say often is do less, Yeah. hold more. Mm. And I'm not saying, like, take on the work of everybody else, like, don't put more weight on your back, but just, like, hold more space, like, within yourself. Yes. What would it be like just to experience all of the feelings? Just experience them.
1: Yeah. Like, you took me to church on that one. You're right. I'm shaking my head like a woman in my pew growing up. (laughs) Because it's so true, you know, and that is why I'm so dedicated to yoga. yeah. Because for people who are so go, 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 we have to, and we can't still ourselves. It forces me to be still. It forces you to like sit in a pose and you're feeling a visceral reaction. Where is your brain going? Okay. There's discomfort in my hip. Okay, great. Now where's my brain going? Okay. Now I'm Yelling at the instructor in my head. Okay, where's my brain going now? I'm cursing at the instructor in my head. Oh, I'm glad it's not just no. me. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, okay, now where am I going? Okay, now I feel really sad and I want to start to cry. Okay, wait, I'm thinking of this one experience.
0: I'm whole. So you know, it's interesting to me that you're talking about being still and being silent, and yet what you just described was anything but still and silent.
1: Right, because I feel like sometimes you have to go through that before you can get to the stillness and silence, right?
0: I'm wondering how many yogis actually even get to the stillness and silence. Or if it's the practice of being in the awareness of all of that inner chaos, movement, turmoil, feelings. I mean, it's not all bad, but just being in it. Yeah. So
1: one of my instructors, Casey, when I was doing my yoga teacher training course, he was the epitome of like this ah yoga teacher, right? We're like, oh, Casey, you're so amazing. You're so Buddha. You're so, you know, and he would talk to us about, guys, I have thoughts that go through my head too. It's just, as you said, being able to sit in it and watch it go. And then when it comes to you, not judging it, right? Because I think that's the thing, too. Like, we want to, like, oh, I'm not doing it right. Oh, I'm not meditating. Don't judge it. Notice it and go. For me, one of my favorite things that I do when I'm going into the States, so earlier we were talking about mindfulness and the difference between me attempting to live a mindful life as opposed to, like, the mindfulness of meditation sitting in the own, you know, lotus pose, right? So when I do do the own lotus pose, which – when you do meditation, you know, it could be walking meditation, you could be cooking and meditating, anything you do where you're like, you're meditating. I think a lot of people get hung up on this idea of meditation, because they think they need to be sitting on a silent rock somewhere. Works for some people doesn't work for others. But anyway, when I'm in this state, and I have a whole lot in my mind, I like to start by creating a picture for myself. So I have this cave into my cave, I go and I unpack like every heavy thing on my mind. I literally envision myself opening a door to a cave. This is all happening in my head, in my mind's eye. And I'm like unpacking these burdens into my cave. And then I leave my cave and I shut it. And I have a stone I roll, but like if you have a door or whatever, you can lock a door or whatever. And you like really allow yourself to envision this. What does it look like? How does it feel? Like what is there? Okay. So I do that. And it's beautiful because subconsciously you're like, okay, I put on my worries somewhere, but they're safe because they're in my cave and they're locked and I have the key, right? So if, if you get a little bit of the anxiety bug, like I do from time to time, you're able to like, okay, they're safe. So then in my mind's eye, I walk down and I take a seat and I'm surrounded by trees Like there are really tall trees. My eyes are literally closed and I'm looking at this now. And then there's a stream in front of me and the stream, like I am close to the end of a waterfall. So there's a stream at the end of the stream, the water goes down. So basically as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and my brain is like mostly cleared because I've already unpacked all of my stuff in my cave. If something pops in my head, I literally put it on a log in my mind and I don't judge it and I watch it Just go out of my peripheral vision and down the waterfall. And so for me, just an exercise to silence myself and to really get me in that space of openness, that's very helpful because you're able to see the things that are really irking at you in the moment, but you're giving yourself visually in your mind something to do with it. So you don't just let it bounce around in your head. You're able to release it.
0: I find that so helpful. You know, I have been practicing meditation and mindfulness in my own life in many ways. And it wasn't until just this past summer, I was leading a retreat for a group of therapists. And afterwards I was diving into my own self-care and I got this amazing massage and I was trying to like shake off and let go everything that wasn't mine before I went home. Mm -hmm. And I felt as I was getting this massage, I literally felt stuff kind of bubbling up and it was almost like it was saying like, okay, I'm not yours, I'm ready to go. And I didn't yeah. know what to do with it. And so I asked my massage therapist if he had any tips and he talked me through something so much like that and it worked so incredibly well.
1: Yeah, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. I mean, And that just goes to show how amazing our minds are and you know, how capable we are just to be able to sit with our breath and our thoughts and connect our, you know, mind and spirit together to let baggage go, ours, others, et cetera, you know. And it's necessary. It's so necessary. It's incredibly necessary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This has been such an amazing conversation so far. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you feel is really missing that we should include in here?
1: So something that I think, would be helpful for people as they're beginning this conversation, especially if they feel like they don't have a way to enter PBS, PBS PBS.org. We all love it if you just google pbs chasing dreams they have this quiz you can take it's called the american dream quiz i believe but you take this quiz and it asks you a whole bunch of questions about you know where you grew up geographically what year you were born your socioeconomic background etc it takes you know your sexual preference how how you identify etc it takes all these things and it gives you your american dream score and so mm it's a really great way to see exactly where you would land on the spectrum of privilege, right? Because the term white privilege is being thrown around a lot, which let me be clear, white privilege is real. Like there is a society that was built and people who are Caucasian do benefit from that, right? The book I was saying earlier dives into that, but something that we don't talk about is privilege across the spectrum of ageism privilege uh, across the spectrum of socioeconomics of geographic privilege etc and so being able to take that quiz almost allows you to have a better understanding of where your exact privilege lies. Because a lot of times as these conversations are coming up, because of the like huge things that are happening in our world, such as Charlottesville, right? And the things that have happened because there are a lot of generational scars too that we have to talk about. I think if we start with a more broader understanding of the privileges we individually carry, right? no matter what anything is about ourselves, it gives us more of a freedom to have these conversations.
0: I think that's amazing. I can't wait Mm -hmm. to take the quiz and we'll definitely include a link to it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's, It's so beautiful. It's so great. Yeah. I did a project with somebody and she and I were presenting diversity work together. We took the quiz. She's, you know, you look at us and you would think, oh, she has more privilege. She's a white woman, you know, who lives here in this, like, she lives in a really affluent place. So you would think X, Y, Z. We both took the quiz and my score was higher than hers because of, you know, a whole bunch of things with our childhood and growing up. And so I just think that that's a more realistic way to continue to have this conversation.
0: I love that. I love that it's so inclusive. And multi ways, that it's not just a one-sided kind of conversation, but it's taking a lot into account. I think that's really important. It sounds like such a valuable tool. I'm grateful to know about it.
1: It really is. It really is. So yeah.
0: Natalie, one thing I want to make sure we hit on before we end is you work with a lot of teachers and you teach the teachers how to bring this inclusiveness into the schools.
1: Yes, I do. So I myself was a teacher in New York City schools, and I realized a lot of things about my own privilege that I had growing up and my own understanding of education. I was a child who loved school. School, for the most part, felt safe for me. You know, I was able to thrive there, but I also had this feeling othered and not really feeling a part of the community that wasn't academic. And so taking all those things and going into a classroom and really dealing with different situations that my students had made it hard for me to relate to them. And so what I do is when I work with my teachers, I really help them develop self-reflection tools that they need to build classrooms that are culturally competent so that they're able to bring themselves and their students are able to bring themselves into a brave space of learning. So, I feel like, you know, you could be the best teacher in the world academically, but if you're not a person who really thinks through what was your experience like, how did you interact with school, what were your classmates like, what resources did you have, how were your support systems? If you're not really asking yourself those things as an educator, you are going to leave a child out, regardless if you intend to or not. For me in my first year of teaching, my students who were kind of the academic oddballs and I were best friends. But when I sit and I reflect back and I think about all of my students who miss the opportunity to learn to the utmost of their ability in my class because I wasn't creating an open space for them to feel safe and brave to learn as well. I mean, it's honestly heartbreaking. And so I do work with my teachers to first and foremost, help them understand the idea of systematic oppression, to help them understand the smog, as Dr. Tatum puts it in her book, the smog that we live in. Then I help teachers to reflect through the assets that they see in our schools, right? If you turn on the TV today, I think, and you look, I mainly work in, in schools in the inner city, and if you look at Anything on the inner city, I guarantee you 90% of what you see is portraying it in a negative light. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a person who has not personally interacted in these communities or doesn't have a tie to these communities in some way, shape, or form, it's really easy to believe only the things that you've been seeing. And or the things you've been shown, and so I really help our teachers to start unpacking those things in a safe way so that then they can say, Okay, what am I bringing into the classroom? What do I want to bring more of? What do I want to bring less of within myself? And then, how am I creating an atmosphere to allow my kids not only to bring their ethnic culture, not only to celebrate, you know, the beauty of all of their ancestors and their story as to like how they are here in the seat that they sit in but also to allow them to bring the beauty of themselves as a person, their own unique strengths, the things that they want to grow in, right? Because I really feel like having a classroom where everyone's heritage is represented, as well as everyone's diverse way of thought and interacting and building and creating and learning, that is a sweet spot to not just create people who can regurgitate information to you please we have computers like we need people we need to create people who are able to understand how to interact with others understand how to build with others and really design something greater and so the work I do in schools really aims to get behind that and to give the teachers the confidence to be able to do that so yeah I love it it. Yeah, thank you. I do. Yeah, I do too. I love it. And, you know, I also have been starting to do yoga in schools because I love kids. It's like selfish for me to get back in in front of the little ones. And so, yeah, I do some yoga in daycares and really help them from an early age start to understand how do I notice my breath? What moves do I do when I get the mean angries? What are, you know, like, what are different things I can do so that when they're going into school or when they're continuing their education, regardless if their teacher has this understanding within themselves, students are starting to develop this within themselves, right? Because if they learn it from an early age, that's something they can take with them throughout their life.
0: Oh, and it sounds like that is just such a great way to build up the resources for the next generation, and right,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm, I love that. Thank you, me too. You
0: know, this is always a conversation I'm really interested in for multiple reasons, and I think many of my listeners may know this. But I have two daughters, and they are mixed race, so I'm always wanting to dive deeper into these conversations because it helps me learn how to parent them better.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful and necessary, and yeah. I thank you for that because yeah. it's definitely needed. It's definitely needed. You're going to love this book, by the way. I
0: know I am. <laughs> excited for yeah. it. I'm finding myself wondering if there's a children's version or something like that, but I'm sure I'll do some research or connect with you later and yeah. you can come up with some others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, connect with me. Yeah. There are a couple of good kid books to read. Awesome. To help. Built that in them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe we can connect over that and I can even include some of those in the show notes in case anybody's interested. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Okay, so Natalie, thank you so much. And let's just reiterate where our listeners can find you. Yeah, perfect. So
1: you can go online to owngirls.com. O M M G I R L S dot com. That's my website. There you can, you know, sign up to know about our workshops. If you're interested in me coming and talking to your organization or your schools or, you know, working with you some, there's a place where you can fill information out there. My email is Natalie, N A T A L I E, at OMGirls dot And then I have Instagram. So Instagram is Girl of OM with two M's. Or Natalie Brooke B., and I'm on Facebook. I have my own girls page. So, yeah, so there's a couple of places to find me, and I'd love to continue the conversation with anyone. I love being open, I love learning and growing with people, and so excited for all opportunities to come.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been a really great conversation, and I'm grateful to have spent this time with you. Well, thank you so much as well. I appreciate it. The Practice of Being Seen podcast. Is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind the scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., and produced by Kidney Stone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and will join us next week for another episode of the Popscast brought to you by Connectfulness.